Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, I need you to teach. I need you to open our eyes, open our hearts. Father, uh, cut our entanglements. And Father, let us see. Let us know the time. Let us know the power. Let us know the privilege. To you, my Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. We're moving from our position into our practice. We looked at the first three chapters and we understand who we are. What belongs to every child of God. I don't care how long you've known him. If you're brand spanking new, it doesn't matter. All right. These are the things that are yours in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul was so adamant about repeating that in Christ, in him. Because he wanted to understand that when you talk about church, it's a living organism that is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at our Russian brothers, they will call the building is a house of prayer. But the church meets in the house of prayer. Okay? We can go back to those first three chapters. We know what he's done for us. We know who we are in him. We know the principles. So now, the Apostle Paul, remember he concludes chapter 3 with a prayer. But now he says, in light of that prayer, walk in a manner worthy of what you possess, what your position is. I want to go back through this because this is crucial to the body of Christ today. I shared with you last week, as you grow in your doctrine, your duty will flow. Okay, In the church today, I see a lot of people who have a duty, but they don't know why. They don't know, understand the, the, their position in Christ. And, and, I, and it's, it's like my grandpa used to say, it's like trying to push a chain. Okay, you, you know you're supposed to do something, so you go find all the do something things, but you don't understand who it is you serve. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You're not going to believe it. In the first three chapters, what does he do? He gives doctrine. Okay? So in chapter 4, he says this, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you received from us instructions on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you do actually, that you excel still more. I mean, if you want to see a thriving, growing church, read the first three chapters. Because you're doing it, but now Paul says, but I want you to excel more. Okay, abound in it more and more. We've taught you how to walk. Now I exhort you to do it exceedingly. So it's, it's, again, it's that pattern that you see in the Apostle Paul. I give you the teaching. I give you the doctrine. I give you the theology. Now this is how you should respond. And one of the things that I see missing in the body of Christ today, and and if you really think about it, it's mystifying. There's no theology. We all kind of just go do whatever we want to do. Why? Well, you know, I'll go do something for Jesus. All right? 
I can't expect a believer to do what he doesn't know or she. We can't function on something that we don't know. Right? How do you behave in a way that you have no understanding? So we must search the word of God to know the principles. I'm adamant about this. Listen, there is a lot of people, and I love you guys to death. I would lay my life down for any one of you at a heartbeat. But I don't want you guys to just follow what I say. I want you to know what it says. I try to put the passion that I have for the word, I try to share that with you so you will have passion for the word. That's my heart. That's my soul. Writer Proverbs tells us, we will know the wisdom of God when you desire that wisdom like gold as people search for silver. When we search to know God's wisdom, you'll find it. And when you find it because you've searched for it, you know what? You will know it. And it's just like Adam knew Eve. It will be an intimate understanding to you individually. That's the goal. That's the goal. Let me give you an illustration of this. In the book of Job, chapter 28. 28, beginning at verse 1. What he does here, he illustrates the earth's treasures. Then at the second half of the chapter, he contrasts it to the wisdom of God. Okay? So here's how he starts. Verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust, and copper is smelted from rocks. Man puts it into darkness, and to the farthest limit he reaches out, the rock in gloom and in deep shadows. He sinks a shaft far from habitation. Forgotten by foot, they hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth from it comes food. Underneath it is turned up as fire. The rocks are the sources of sapphires. And its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows. Nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden in. Nor have the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand to the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through the rock, and his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. You know what he's saying there? Men work extremely hard and dangerously to mine treasures where the falcon has not seen where the lion will not walk he tells us that man will go to any length conceivable to get treasure out of the ground hidden in places that animals don't know it's interesting don't you think you know what verse 12 says but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. Got that? 
how hard men work for treasure. And he contrasts it to what? Are you willing to work that hard for the Word of God? In Proverbs 2, when you put as much effort into knowing the wisdom of God as men will do to find silver and gold. You know what, brothers and sisters, I love you. But do you understand that working this book is work? You must labor at it. And you have to be consistent at it. You have to work at it. You have to press it. You have to desire it. You have to beg it to give up its treasures. Because they're all there. But we have gotten so into the love and the grace and this and that and the other that we've missed theology because we're not willing to go look at it. It's like I was talking in Sunday school this morning. I had a discussion some time ago with a man. And he says, well, it sounds to me like you believe that God predestines some people to hell. And I said, that's not what the Bible says. He says, what do you believe? I said, we're all going to hell. And he saves some. Because, see, our perspective is from man's side. You know what you just told me? You have a very small theology. A very small theology. Until you know God's wisdom, until you have the basis of doctrine there, you will never know how to live. We have to know God's wisdom. There's only one place to get God's wisdom, brothers and sisters. That's in His book. Part of the reason that we have this thing called the church is that there are gifted people who come here supernaturally empowered by the Spirit of the living God who have the ability to rightly divide it and share it. But it is the duty of every Christian to diligently... Present yourself as a worker approved. Why? Rightly dividing truth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Okay, what was you praying for? To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Have you ever gone through the directory and prayed that? Go through everybody in our church directory and pray that God would fill each and every one of them with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understanding and wisdom. Why? Verse 10. You see how it's connected? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge. Verse 11. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. That's amazing. See what I'm trying to get at? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Okay? How do I do that? Through doctrine. I watch people, I watch pastors, you start talking about doctrine, their eyes glaze over and say, well, that's just boring. And I'm sitting there going, what? Oh, I went to school for doctrine. I don't need that anymore. Really? Paul wants us filled with knowledge of his will. Why? He's talking about your brain. 
that place where you make your decisions. Again, it's like I shared last week. Doctrine must be first. Duty will flow. If I don't have the doctrine, then all you have is works and it becomes legalism. Walk worthy. It's based on a knowledge. And you will be fruitful in every good work, he told the church in Colossae. You must have knowledge. Why? Because when I have that knowledge, I'm strengthened with might. And all I can do with that knowledge and that strength is give thanks. Listen, this is why I do what I do. Weekend and week out. I seek the mind of God so I can present the principles of God. Listen, I, I get stuff daily that deals with how to renew the church, how to revive the church, how to grow the church, how to do, you name it, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. And I have yet to see someone say, hey, you want to grow the church? Give them biblical exposition with the depth of theology. You don't hear that. Listen, what I hear out there right now, I've got a quote for it and I just make it up. But it's, it's sanctified pep talks. That's all it is. Raw, raw Jesus. It's there to stir your emotions. Let me tell you some horrible story about some Chinese martyr. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, give me $10. We'll give it to the guys. Listen, pastors weaken the word of God when they give people duty and never give them doctrine. You've just weakened the word of God. What is your motive if you have no theology? When you remove the principles, you don't have a purpose. Listen, this is not a new phenomenon. Please. I'll illustrate it. And every one of you will get it. All right? Right now, we are in our wonderful season, right? January, February, March, up to April the 15th. Right? We're all excited about it. We're piling a bunch of paper together, getting a bunch of numbers together, and going to get it all put together, and we're all going to send it in. Sometimes we're going to send them money. Sometimes we just pray with our fingers crossed that we get a dollar back. Okay? Why do you do that? Because the doctrine says you have to. What is God saying? Know me. See my face and watch what you will want to do. Walk worthy. If you're going to walk worthy of the Christian life, you've got to have foundational, solid, biblical theology. Not opinions. I don't need you to go look at the study notes in the bottom of your Bible. I need you to know what is set it up. Unless people know the reason, you'll have a hard time. Why do we have so many people in this country backslide? Why? Because they're living their lives on the size of their God. Getting them to make a commitment to serve. And the only way I know to get anybody to get make a commitment to serve is to give them theology. And once you give them that theology, I want them to come up for a breath, and then I'm going to hold them back under for a little longer. Because our God is massive. So many Christians. I, I hate to use this term, but this, I'm going to just say it. Too many Christians are cheerleaders. I do it when it's convenient. I come because I want theology. I want you to make my brain hurt. That's what I want. I want overwhelmed. 
I see Christian cheerleaders and they try to get people to do stuff and they have no reason why. They'll put up a slideshow. I mean, it's just... I don't know about you. Have you seen these things on television where they have the little dog chained up and it's shaking and it's emaciated and all the rest of it? I am so sick and tired of seeing that that when I see it now, I just flat out ignore it. It doesn't move a thing in me. I'm sitting there going, you're taking pictures of it. Throw us some food, fool. But that's what we do in Christianity. Let me stir your emotions so you will what? James, the Lord's half brother. <laughs> How'd you like to have it be in that one? Huh? Mom liked Jesus better than me. <laughs> that was dad's favorite. <laughs> uh, you know, James chapter 3. Very important text. Not many of you should be, become teachers. My brethren, knowing that as such, they will incur a stricter judgment. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Then he gives the illustration of a rudder on a ship and the bit in the mouth of a horse. See... I had read that before they ever asked me to even teach a Sunday school class. And I understood at that point in time, from then on, I will stand before the Lord and I will have to answer, did I give His people truth? That's it. not a matter of how many people I led to Christ. It's not a matter of uh, how many baptisms I did, how many marriages I did, how many funerals I did. None of that matters. doesn't matter how many mission trips I did, how many times I taught pastors. doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, did I give God's people truth? I rightly divide it to give God's people the principles. My prayer has always been, that that hunger for God's truth, that hunger for theology. Theo is the word for God. Ology is the study of. The study of God. You would think that somewhere in humanity that would be a passion. But I have a hard time finding it even in his people. Because we become complacent. That's why we're on iTunes. Why? I've got people who have left this church that keep up on iTunes. Like a little granddaughter, Gracie, they go a long distance to their church and they, I don't know, do something on the car radio or telephone or something. I don't know how it all works. I've never listened to me, to be honest with you. But anyway, they listen and she will sit there and say, there's Grandpa. My daughter listens. My son-in-law, who's separated from his daughter right now because of the military, he listens. He keeps track of it. Mikhail, my interpreter in Baku, he sends me emails. He says, you are the only person I've ever heard of purely Christ-centered preaching. I said, well, if you're preaching the Bible, then it's got to be Christ-centered. Him and his wife listen to it. It has, it has to be interesting as can be because they listen to it on iTunes. She can't speak English. So he'll play it and he speaks English and then he'll explain. And I thought, to hear him try to explain some of the terminology that I use has got to be outstanding. See, that's God's calling for me. I am not uh, interested in fan loyalty. I'm not interested in doing things emotionally. I'm interested in pouring the mind of God in between your ears. 
My interest is that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My interest is that you would hunger and thirst for this book. That you'd wear it out. That you'd wear it out. I feel that all I need to do is give you the word of God. As Charles Spurgeon says, open the cage, let the lion of the tribe of Judah out. Okay, because you know what I found? What I give you, whether you obey it or not, is between you and God. Between you and God. You don't want to obey it? Fine, tell him. How many people have I seen walk out of here because you said something that offended me? Did I say something that offended you? Or did God say something that offended you? You better look at that real hard. That's where we get into trouble. Well, that hurt my feelings. It was him. No, he's the messenger. He's the messenger. I remember listening to a guy preach it. Last Shepherds Conference I was at, the guy just got after it. And when he finished, it was so powerful. He didn't even know how you'll stop and you'll pray. He didn't. He, he just, whoo, and walked off the stage. I was sitting next to Pastor Paul. Paul looked at me and he says, perhaps we should get saved. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, because that's, that's some rock and roll there, buddy. You just keep your head down and maybe nobody will notice we're here. You know, whether you obey it or not is really not my issue. That's between you and God. My deal is I am the waiter. I spend time pouring over the book, wearing myself out, and then I put it up on a tray and I set it out here. I can't even make you eat of it. You know, if I think about it, it's kind of simple. But I think about who he's got setting up here right now, I'm kind of simple. If we just stir emotion or just tell people what they are to do, without giving a theological reason for it, you're going to be left empty. You're going to be left unfulfilled. You're going to be running around with a bunch of have-tos instead of a bunch of I want to. It's my passion. It's my desire. And if you're walking out of here empty, then guess what? You missed the point. See, doctrine, theology, is the key to Christian living. I'm hammering this because I'm getting ready to move into a section that deals with the doings. But if you don't have the theology behind it, you're just going to be a miserable creature. Because I see it today. I've watched it. I've seen the metamorphosis of what the church does. I hear them now. Well, if you want to be a great church, you just got to love everybody. Well, that doesn't do you a bit of good if you don't know the parameters of God's love. That's theology. We just need to be gracious to everybody. But what is God's grace? I've had people tell me that, you know, you just can't make doctrine an issue because doctrine divides. You know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Do you realize how dumb that is? We all get together on the basis of love for one another. If you don't know what God's love is, what's your basis? Icky sentimentalism? I read a book years ago. I don't recommend it. Okay? I don't recommend it. I hate to even give you the author's name, but I'm going to. Just don't go look it up. It's not worth the paper it's written on. It makes me want to go out and save a tree. Okay? 
The man's name is Witness Lee. He wrote a book. He has some interesting philosophies, heresies, whatever you want to call them. He believed that any given town should only have one church. And then that way that church would be extremely strong. Now, in some cases, I would agree with that. Okay, But he wrote his book, his main book that everybody knew about, was Jesus versus Doctrine. And he didn't believe that doctrine should be an, uh, an issue because if you get doctrine in it, the people will be so worried about doctrine and theology and really silly stuff about that, they'll miss love. And how will the church be strengthened without love? Really? Because when you do that without doctrine, you know what you just did? You created the love. And I know what man's love is like. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self. And the likeness of God having been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. There's a big thing moving across the front range right now. It's called church vision. Your church has to have a vision. It's coming in all kinds of different names now, but it's basically all comes off of this foundation of the church must have a vision. Some need renewal, and there's all kinds of ideas. I've heard, I mean, there's some of it that's comical to me because I have a warped sense of humor. But what they want is, say, okay, you see how you have the chairs here, and they're all in a row? Uh, church vision to help the people to relate to each other, just have them put a chair wherever they want and look at whatever they want in any order that they want. And that will renew your church. <laughs> I was like, well, why didn't I think of that? I hope you ain't got pews. <laughs> it's going to be a bummer. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. You can do something new every week, and you're never going to know renewal in the church. Why? What I just read to you. It's your mind. It's your mind. 23 again. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. You want to be renewed? Refreshed? Strengthened? in your mind. If the church really wants to renewal, it will find renewal when it gives the people of God the truth of God so their minds can know the truth of God. Listen, it is one thing for me to sit here and preach and you guys write down your little notes. and all, That's great. I'm encouraged by it. I think it's awesome. But you will never know it until you do it. When I was growing up, this is a long time ago, when I was growing up, I'd have to go home, and, and you'd have to look up words in the dictionary for spelling. You know, I'd be writing a paper or something like that. And so I'd ask my mom. I said, well, Mom, how do you spell such and such? Go look it up. Well, but you already know. Just tell me. No, go look it up. And you know what you learn? Is that the words you had to go look up, you remember them. There are people who sit in the church and they just sit there and they go, well, okay, uh, and I sounded good. All right, I'm out of here. And, and that's it. They'll write down all their notes and file them somewhere else until it overfills their file. And then they'll throw them in a the trash can and they have no idea what was said. I got news for you. Renewal on the basis of your mind is God exalting and God glorifying and no one gets credit for it but God you start doing the stuff of moving the furniture I don't care how much you arrange the furniture you ain't going to get renewal it ain't going to happen 
Method is irrelevant. When you have a bunch of renewed people, renewed people are going to carry on the work of God and the framework is irrelevant. They just do it. Listen, we have to get this and get it clear. Our minds, each and every one of our minds is the source of our renewal. And whatever I'm punching in there, that's what the effect is going to be on my mind. Revival, renewal, whatever you want to call it. it. When it comes to the church, it comes from the thinking process. Remember, we looked at this earlier. Chapter 1, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and of knowledge of Him. Paul's first prayer. God knows the heart of this matter. And it is to know the truth is at the heart of this. And listen, this, this is not a bunch of Bible facts. This is an intimate relationship with a holy, righteous God. That's what it is. It's not a matter of saying, well, I'm going to be really good at Bible trivia. That ain't it. It ain't it. It's that thing that overwhelms you and you meditate on it day and night. It's always coming into your head and it runs around for a little bit and then you something else comes in and it runs around for a little bit and you're just being encouraged and encouraged and encouraged and encouraged. We must know doctrine if we are ever going to know duty. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. Again, the apostle prays, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Okay, see? It's that love thing. Yep. In real knowledge, in all discernment. That my love will be discerning in the real knowledge of God. I must know doctrine to do that. I must have theology. Your love. Listen, if you do not have this, then let me tell you something. Your love is less than what God's love is. Because you know what true love is? According to this, it's discernment. True love discerns. I can look at it and see what the problem is. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 10. That you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay. To please Him in all respects. Okay. Bearing fruit in every good work. Okay. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Hmm. Because if I increase in the knowledge of God, I know that I will please Him in all respects, bearing fruit of good works. Then in verse 11 it says, I will strengthen with all power according to His glorious might, attaining all steadfastness and patience and joyously giving thanks to the Father. The knowledge of God, as I know God and we will walk worthy, as I know God, we are fruitful. When I know God, we will be good in every good work. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. Put on the new self. Who's being what? Renewed. To what? To a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Put on a new man. How? To know God. How? To know Christ. How? To know his word. See, that's the issue. Are you seeing the point yet? Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 18, but grow in the grace. There you go. See, love and grace, love and grace, love and grace. 
Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. So it takes knowledge for me to grow. I must know the Word of God. I must hunger for the Word of God. I must search for the Word of God like men do treasure and are willing to go into the depths of the earth to get it. See, Paul wants believers to be mature. Paul wants believers to be complete. Back to Colossians. Chapter 1. One of my favorite sections of Scripture. We're getting at verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? Then if you go look in my office right now, behind my chair, there's a little placard thing that someone made for me. And it says this, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Verse 29, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to the power which works mightily within me. That text right there in James chapter 3, 1, were the first two that God gave me, showed me, and slapped me in the side of the head with. To present the saints complete in Christ in all knowledge. Hmm. Got my job cut out for me. Chapter 4 of Colossians, Epaphroditus. Verse 12, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect, fully assured in the will of God. Now, how am I going to stand perfect, fully assured in the will of God? By the knowledge of him. Theology. Another one that is interesting is Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Okay? You get that? That would be all Scripture. That means even if it's not red letter, it's good too. All right? Why? Why would that be an issue? Verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Did you see that? Which good work? Every good work. Hmm. Adequate. You know what that means? Able to do it. I'm able to do it. Equipped. You know what that means? I'm ready. This is only going to work with the knowledge of the Word of God. It's why I teach the principles that I teach. It's why we should all. We should all be laboring earnestly in the power of the Spirit for this book. But you know what? There's still a very large number of Christians that, to use a good politically correct term, that are ignorant. Some have found, some have found that the Word is kind of, kind of cool. And, you know, it's amazing to me with the amount of resources that exist for us at this time. I mean, you can get the Bible on your phone or your computer. You get, gee whiz, it shall be on my watch soon. I, I don't know. It's just bizarre. And then you got Strong's Concordances. You got Treasury Scripture Knowledge. You got commentaries from the old great saints of old. Uh, the, some of the new guys, be careful with them. But you just got to watch some of this stuff because it's, it's out there. The resources are there. There's, there's no reason that every believer shouldn't be a theologian. I don't, any of you guys remember Walter Martin? He used to be the Bible answer man. He died. 
And then the guy that took over wasn't the Bible answer man. He made a statement one time, and now it's stuck in my head. And it talked about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Those people that come to your door, okay, those guys. He said that what he, that was his thing. He was against the JWs and the Mormons. That he had a, a laser guided on them people. He says, those guys and girls that would come to your door can take apart the average seminary students within minutes. And they only have 90 days of training. You know why? They don't know their theology. It's that simple. I used to have them come to the house. It was great. They'd come, and I was one of these that would open the door and say, Yeah, I need to ask you some questions. And they thought they hit the gold mine. And it never dawned on them, What is this guy doing here during the middle of the day? Why isn't he somewhere? Okay, because I remember the last time I had the Jehovah's Witnesses come, they came back. You know, they never tell you when they're coming back. They come back and I was, oh, yeah, okay, here we go again. And so I was asking them questions. Last time they came, they had four cars up and down my driveway with people praying. (laughs) And the the poor little sheep to slaughter come back in. (laughs) And and to me, it was, I don't know. My sick humor is <laughs> like, yeah, come here, I got a question, you know. But, you know, I, I do know that uh, many don't have theology. They may have the verbiage and they may say it, but it's obvious they don't have their faith in it. And they don't have any depth in that theology. You must know the word Intimately. Listen, here's something that is astonishing, and I can't tell you, in my understanding of church history, I can't tell you when it happened. But originally, believe it or not, the church is where you went to get theology. Okay? You didn't, there were no seminaries. You went to church. Then I watched that morph, and, and I remember actually when I started attending this place, they, if you wanted theology, you went to Sunday school. They gave you theology in Sunday school. And I went to a couple of Sunday school classes and says, that's not theology. Okay. And, and so I kept thinking, well, why is the church not given theology? All right. I believe that anybody that stands behind this pulpit should be a theologian. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But they should be a theologian that's back here. Somebody so rock solid in who they are in God and what their position is in God that no matter what, you ain't moving them. I've heard people get up here and go, well, I'm not really sure, but I think and I could be, it could be. Shut up then. Go someplace and make sure of it. If not, keep your mouth shut. You're supposed to be speaking on behalf of God. You had better know him. Decades and decades, the church has not done that. And I look at the condition of the church and I can tell. I mean, I don't know. I watch society today, especially in America, that we are too busy worrying about relationships. How do I relate to you? You know what's amazing to me? You know, you know well, do, do they like to fish? Okay, if they like to fish, do they like to spin fish or do they fly fish? Which, which one do they like? You know, do they like to hunt? Do they, do, do they like motorcycles? Do they like cars? Do they, you know, do we, you know, and we go back and forth through all of this stuff that we're trying to build these relationships. Let me make this as simple as I can. Why... Would a believer want to marry an unbeliever? Do you understand that there's no foundational union there? So if I'm marrying a believer, and I'm a believer, 
The foundation of my relationship is what? She's cute as a button. You know what? She's going to age. But Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you marry a believer because you have the same foundation for the relationship. So if you're in a church, you shouldn't be worried about who's driving a four-wheel drive, or who's tall, or who's short, or who's this, or who's that. Who are you in Christ? Now we have a relationship. And you know what? It's indestructible. It's indestructible. I don't care. I can say something to make you mad. But you know what? We're still one in Christ. So suck it up, buttercup. You see what I'm trying to get at? That's what this is all about. I know there's things that I like. You guys are probably going, oh, geez. That's fine. But the basis of our relationship is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is based on our knowledge of Him. We have to remember we can't live what we don't know. You can be in the framework of the church, the body of Christ, and walk worthy unless you know his standards and what he is. We must know what this is. Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 3 says, that I may know him. That's an intimate relationship. I know him. James chapter 1, verse 21, that he says that In humility, receive the word implanted. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to get rid of the old self. Therefore, putting aside all, in verse 21, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. That's what James wanted. The little Greek is engrafted. Peter said that we might desire the pure milk of the word that we might what? Grow in it. See, the standard of God is basis for our behavior. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I a prisoner. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever really thought that maybe you were a prisoner to the word of God? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the Word became flesh and walked among us. What would that be? Christ. Paul Paul says, I am a prisoner of who? Therefore, I'm a prisoner of what? The Word of God. God is calling us by His Spirit. Walk in a manner worthy. I'm going long. Too bad. When we walk worthy, what happens? I'll go through this really fast, okay? Listen real quick. If you get done before me, raise your hand. Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Faith Hall of Fame. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. Enoch was taken up by faith. He was taken up. You know what that means? Him and God were so close that he just walked right on out of here. He never died. Noah, by faith, preached coming disaster for 120 years. Abraham, Sarah, way late in their years, God promised him a son. That gave us Isaac, Abraham even offered Isaac on the altar. Isaac let his father send a servant to find him a wife. Gave us Jacob. By faith, Jacob wrestled with God and became Israel. By faith, Joseph, the youngest, saved his people from a famine in Egypt after he was sold as a slave. 
By faith, Moses let him out. All of these that I've just read are completely against the system and are completely in opposition. They walked with God and theirs was a walk worthy of God. They lived what they knew. They knew this. And they walked it and they lived it. Even to the point in verse 31 of 11, Rahab the harlot. What shall we say? Time will fail me. Verse 32, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, even shut the mouths of lions. Because they lived what they know. Okay? I want to show you verse 38. These people who live what they know, men of whom the world was not worthy. Did you know that those who have a solid theology, who live the life of that theology, the world is not worthy of us? Let that rattle around for a minute. We should want to silence the mouths of the critics. My computer was on this morning. I get a list of... um, uh, what do you call it news postings three new pastors are caught taking money it's amazing we should be living to his praises only listen I'm going to close with this last thought each of us should look at the scriptures should study the scriptures to be mastered. I, Paul, a prisoner of the Word incarnate, Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have no idea how my burden is for this. We must bury ourselves in theology so that our walk is automatic. I don't have to sit around and think, you know, what else should I do in this situation? No, you already know. Why? Because I know him intimately. It's that simple. Let this book master you. Father, I come before you, the author and the finisher. Father, teaching something so powerful and I have feel so inadequate. But yet, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you touch my friends. Father, they uh, get a little more dose of why I am who I am. So, uh, Lord, uh, help each of us. Help each of us to hunger and thirst for your word as men would dig tunnels for precious stones and gold and silver. May we get into your word and dig tunnels for the wisdom of the almighty God who spoke existence into being. Thank you, my Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen.